Hi friends, welcome to another edition of the Why on Earth Communities Stewardship and Sustainability Podcast Series. And today we have the opportunity to visit with Mark Retzloff. Hi Mark. How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you. And uh, welcome to our show and thank you for welcoming us to your beautiful home here. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. It's uh, amazing. We'll mention that uh, uh, on this property of Mark's are some tremendous biodynamic gardens and uh, maybe we'll, we'll get to that in a few moments. But, but before diving in, Mark, I just I want to share with our audience that uh, your career uh, spans a number of really interesting business stories and really follows the arc of uh, so much of how our food system here in our society has evolved over the last several decades. And uh, I know that in your college days you uh, started what would become Eden Foods and Rainbow, one of the distributors. Uh, you went on to found the first iteration of Alfalfas, which got acquired by Wild Oats and ultimately became part of Whole Foods. And then uh, also uh, were one of the founders of Horizon Organic Dairy, driving thousands of acres into organic uh, feed production. And uh, you've also been very involved in Waldorf education and sit on many uh, boards uh, university boards advising the next generations of leaders, uh, business boards, and other boards in the community. And I thought that uh, we'd have a really fun and rich conversation, Mark, covering some of those highlights. But I'd like to start by asking you, take us, take us back to your college days and paint the picture for us. What was that like and, and, and what got started then? Okay. So uh, I grew up in Michigan and uh, started at the University of Michigan in uh, 1966. So it was right at the height of the of Vietnam War. And uh, obviously Michigan was a hotbed of the anti-war movement. And uh, as I got oriented there and began looking at what I was doing, you know, I got interested in that and became part of the, involved in the anti-war movement at the university in, in Ann Arbor. And, um, you know, met a lot of the people who ended up being, you know, leaders in that, uh, Tom Hayden and uh, Bill Ayers. Uh, but, a, you know, part of that splintered off and became the the Weathermen, which became more, you know, violent. And I kind of got turned me off because here we were, you know, we were anti-war activists fighting for the end of our participation. In it. And, you know, these some of these activists had gotten very violent in what they were doing. It just didn't make a lot of sense. And so I kind of transferred my attention to environmental issues and uh, changed what I was doing in school, enrolled in the School of Natural Resources and became an environmental activist in, in many ways, was there for the first Earth Day. Um, and then uh, my two roommates and myself began changing our diet 
became, uh, at that time, uh, macrobiotics was a burgeoning type of diet, you know, based on, uh, you know, Oriental Japanese type of, of healthy diet. And uh, uh, we started doing that. We'd moved out to a farm outside of Ann Arbor. And I was, uh, at that time, I was going to, still finishing up my last year. And my one roommate had uh, graduated and the other one had dropped out. And so as we were trying to find these foods that we were using in this diet, you know, we had to tr drive an hour or two to Detroit to pick up stuff and that didn't make sense to us either. So uh, we decided to start the first co-op in Ann Arbor, food co-op. And it was, and we did that. And What uh, year was that? 1969. So this was just as the food co-op movement was getting started. Yeah, at, very, right? at the very beginning, yes. Yeah. Very, very, very beginning of that. And so we, we did that. Uh, we just could not generate the interest to make that work. And we began realizing also that uh, there was an opportunity for us to take it beyond students to people who lived in Ann Arbor and so on and so forth. So we changed it from a co-op into a retail business. It was called Eden Foods, the precursor of the Eden Foods today, which is one of the leading organic food producers in, in the country. Um, and so I, I, I got involved in that, I, though I was still going to school, finishing up my last year. So my role in that organization was to go and talk to farmers and to that who could produce products that we could use. And we became a, besides a retail store, we started doing some distributing to other co-ops and stores in the uh, Midwest. And uh, so uh, one of the, uh, I can remember one of the conversations I had with a farmer outside of Ann Arbor called Tom Vreeland. And I went and was sitting in his kitchen, which is where you normally have conversations with farmers, okay? And uh, I was asking him to uh, produce products organically, uh, corn and uh, field beans like lentils and navy beans, uh, different varieties of wheat and, and some rye and stuff like that. And uh, he said, well, you know, uh, yeah, I can do that. And I said, well, I need them to be done organically. And he said, well, what's that? And there was no standard for organic at that time. I mean, it was, and so I put together what I thought it would, would be based on readings uh, from J.I. Rodale and from uh, Pfeiffer and Rudolf Steiner and so on that I was reading at that time. And... Uh, so he listened and he said to me, well, that's the way my grandfather and my father grew yeah. Yeah. things on the farm. Yeah. He said, I, so I could easily do that. Are you going to pay me a little bit more of a premium? I said, sure, of course. And then we got chatting about it and about uh, exactly what I wanted him to do. And he said something to me which was pretty profound at that time for me and had a major impact on me is that uh, he said, Mark, you know, if there's a market for the products, the farmers will grow it. So I said to him, hmm, that's interesting. And I began thinking about that. And I began realizing, well, 
I'm not going to be a farmer. Uh, uh, so my job is to produce that market. Yeah. Because farmers will then change to do that. And uh, that made a lot of sense to me because in, in uh, you know, getting my degree in conservation and resource planning, I had, it was, you know, we did a lot of work on where the sources of, of pollution was, particularly at agriculture. And at that time, which is similar to today, uh, the largest single point of, uh, of environmental degradation in the country is in agriculture. If you include the soil that's being eroded and sent down the waterways, if you include what we put into the soil and then leave it with those things in it, whether it's glyphosate or at that time it wasn't glyphosate, it was chemical fertilizers and pesticides and so forth. If you look at what we put up in the air when we spray these things, if we look at the farm worker health, uh, just all those types of things. And so I said, okay, well, you know, if I want to change that, the way we're doing that from an environmental standpoint, I got to produce a market so these farmers will have something to, you know, a place to sell it once they make the change. So I, that's what it made sense for me to be in retail. So I ended up staying in retail probably for the next, uh, 20 years. Yep. Yep. And you've seen the markets in, in that time frame, uh, those, those first 20 years of your career and then the, the subsequent 20 years, you've seen the markets evolve so tremendously as it relates to food and organics and food in particular. And uh, I'm struck that you have a perspective that really uh, got going at the, at the earliest moments in that movement that is now as uh, widespread and ubiquitous as it is. Of course, there's a lot of work to do, but uh, by golly, you've seen so much positive change. And I wonder, you know, how does, how does that feel, sit, sitting here knowing that, that you contributed to such positive change? Well, uh, I feel really good about, you know, how the evolution is, but I do know that we have a lot of work to, go, yeah. to do. Yeah. And uh, today, uh, you know, organic foods uh, make up probably uh, certainly less than 10% of what we do. Uh, certain categories, uh, fruits and vegetables were up to probably 15, 16% grown in the United States are organic. Uh, dairy, which I had a lot of to do with is probably up close to about 8%. And, and it, these are all growing yeah. as, in, as categories, as a percentage of the total part of those products. And uh, I'm very encouraged by the, the uh, younger generation, the, uh, uh, the millennials and the next generation, whatever we're gonna end up calling them. Z, and, huh? Y and Z, Z right? Z, Z probably. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, yeah, there's been you know a lot of change, but we still have a long way to go. Yeah. One of the things that strikes me, Mark, you, you shared the other day that uh, it was a soil ecology class that you took in the, in the 60s that really furthered your understanding of that important uh, place and, and point in our entire <laughs> ecological and economic uh, systems. And I'm struck that today, so much of the conversation is around soil and that soil is not only essential for health and nutrition, is not only essential for 
clean, safe water, but of course is also, we know, very linked to climate change and building soil mm -hmm. is very linked to uh, reversing climate change and stabilizing our climate. Mm -hmm. And I'm just uh, so impressed that it was soil at the uh, get-go for you that, that really helped to set some things in motion. And I'm curious if, if you could give some pithy advice to the younger entrepreneurs out there thinking about soil, what, what, would, you, what would you tell them? What would you tell us? Well, it's not just dirt. First of all, yeah, okay, it's soil, and in the soil, with you know, it, it is really the the life bed for uh, all the plants that grow, and obviously for not just the plant world, from from the animal world, because most of them eat plants uh, or some derivative of, of the plant world for the for their own health and for their growth. So. And where does that all start? It all starts in the in the the dirt in the in the soil yeah. that we have there. Yeah. So uh, I was very fortunate. I had a uh, instructor at the University of Michigan, a Dr. Bob Zahner, who uh, taught soil science. And uh, but he was a very creative, very uh, innovative individual. Got it. Understood, the, 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 you know what was going on and with the microorganisms and the transformations that were happening to bring that, to, you know, to feed the plants and then how that uh, we, that fed all of the animal kingdom. So, and you know, I, I was lucky that I was in a class and that we did projects. So I did some. Uh, I decided to do a at the botanical gardens there. Did a. Uh, study between growing daikon radishes both organically and non-organically to see if there was any difference in in the plants and in the uh, uh, and the nutrients that were in the plants and that stuff. Uh, it was a very you know cursory type of thing, but it, again, it was we had we saw slight differences and it was just done one time. But it, incur it uh, for me, it began uh, the really understanding that it's really dirt first. Yeah. Okay. If we can work with our soil and that substrate that's growing all these plants and growing the animals and that we need for our for our uh, uh, for our nutrition and for other uses, whether it's for our apparel with fibers or whatever yes. it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and it's, it's, it's still the same here. You know, that led me into reading a lot of things like, uh, you know, the, more of the Rodale stuff that was coming out at that, that time. Uh, Pfeiffer and his books with Rudolf Steiner, Biodynamics. Farmers for 40 Centuries, the, the Agricultural Testament by Albert Howard, Howard. You know, all those kind of, like, you know, the foundations of of conservation or regenerative or organic, whatever you want to call it, agriculture, which yeah. goes back literally, you know, to when we first started uh, uh, growing food for ourselves as human beings. Yes, thousands of years ago. Yeah, thousands of years. And that's what the Farmers for 40 Centuries is about. 
you know, back, well, you know, the, the techniques and the way they did things back there are not much different than the way we're doing things now. We probably know a lot more about it and all these things and the mechanisms and the systems and how they work. So we should be able to do a better job. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And so, and I'm seeing that. Uh, and that is that, that those movements are growing and becoming stronger and stronger. And probably they're more important today than ever before because of the impact that it can have on what's going on in, on our climate in this world today. Yes, yes. And, and climate change, the ability to sequester carbon that, that agricultural, good agricultural practices can bring to, this, to the earth. And so, you know, that's... So, you know, there's a lot of work to be done yeah. still. Yeah. But... Um, and I'm really, really encouraged by the number of young people and others who are picking up the the flag and moving it further and further f forward. And uh, so I stay involved with a lot of them that way. I, you know, at the University of Michigan, I'm still on the board of the School for the Environment and Sustainability, and I sit on the a chair of the board for the Center for Sustainable Systems, and sit up on the board at the Colorado State University's Ag School. and I do things at the Masters in the Environment program here at CU. And That's the University of Colorado. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and I, you know, I work with the Center for Ethics and Social Responsibility, which I yeah. think fits hand in hand with good agricultural practices. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask this, with your work with all these universities, University of Michigan, Colorado State University, University of Colorado, you're interacting with uh, students, uh, uh, aspiring uh, business leaders, entrepreneurs, and we could say one of the distinct differences that folks have at their fingertips today that wasn't available in the late 60s and 70s and, and so forth is this incredible communication technology mm -hmm. and we're utilizing it right now right, yeah, right. With, with this conversation and the ability to record and share this conversation this potentially reaches millions of people and I'm I'm curious from your perspective with all the change that you've seen in the past four decades now knowing that so much can be accelerated through the smart use of this communication technology, what do you see in the near future? What, what do you think might happen if things say go well? Well, I'm very much encouraged by the fact that in all the programs that I'm involved in, we're seeing more and more young people uh, wanting to, to learn about that and, and to look at careers and how they can change to the better what we're doing today. So um, at the University of Michigan, the School for the Environment and Sustainability has more applicants than it's this year than they've ever had before. Mm -hmm. uh, I look up at the university, at CSU, at their uh, ag school. Uh, they're, uh, you know, one of the interesting things up there is that they're, they're almost half of their students, if not half of them, are now female. Uh-huh, and, and they, that's, that's the Colorado State University's Ag Extension? Ag School. Yeah. Ag yeah. School. And it's not just all in, in uh, 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 horsemanship. 
this is in horticulture and all kinds of things that they they think that they you know they have a keen interest in. Yeah, and uh, so I I think that's great. I mean, look in the environmental programs and, and the sustainability programs, we're seeing more and more young people wanting to to get involved. That in. we're seeing a lot of colleges in universities doing joint degrees with things with sustainability, whether it's in engineering, whether it's in bio the biofields, whether it's in medicine, whether it's just about everything. It, 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 they, they, we're beginning to understand the fact that we have the ability to produce a sustainable world. Yes. So, uh, but we're going to have to make a lot of changes for that to happen. Yes. And so I'm very much encouraged by the number of young people who see that as something that stimulates them and something that they want to be involved in. Yeah, uh, because that, you know, that's the future. That's to me. So if if there's some way that I can facilitate that to use some of my experiences that I've had, or some of the things that I I've identified as best practices that you know that can help this movement move along in the right manner, then I'm I'm going to continue to do that kind of work and uh, uh, and. And thankfully, there's many, many more people like myself who are doing the same thing. So, you know, that movement, even though it's not coalesced into one big movement, but that movement in that direction is positive for us. I just hope we have enough time. Right. Well, you know, one of the things I wonder about, especially as it relates to communication technology, is, you know, a few generations ago, information moved at the speed of a horse or, or maybe a ship on the high seas. A little later, the speed of a locomotive. Now we have information moving almost as fast as light. And I'm struck that with somebody like yourself who stays so busy on many boards, and I know you're on several uh, boards of different organic uh, product companies like traditional medicinals, palm done right and so on, um, there's only so much you can do person to person. I'm wondering, with the aid of communication technology, how might we uh, younger entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, further benefit from some of your insights and, dare I say, wisdom going forward in such a way that we're able to get important memes, important thoughts across to many, many thousands of emerging leaders? Well, I think to, using the technology appropriately is important to do that. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, you know, heck, when I started, we didn't have laptop computers. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have faxes. Okay. I mean, we didn't even have the little calculators. We had slide rolls. So you know, I've seen that. And so I look at yeah. and evolved and, and, and it, it attempted and, and tried to my best to, to my ability to, to stay up to date with where technology is because I want to be able, I, want, I need that information to help me look at where I want to focus my attention. Yeah. Uh, I also want to know what's going on in the rest of the world, which is I think is important. But I think even more important than all of that is the fact that we now, people, no matter where they live, in Central Africa or in Asia 
or way up in uh, in parts of the world where we have very little communication in the past. Today, they can be right there with us. Yeah. And so that's this whole thing about the world being flat. Well, right. Okay. That's a positive thing for people, particularly if they can use that ability to get access to information to do things in, in a more sustainable way and ones that can help them uh, change with whether they're, whatever their economic or social or, or environmental or political situation is. Okay? So I think that's, that's really good. Uh, the, I think that also brings about fundamental change in the way things have been done in the past. Yes. Today we live in a world, uh, it, I'm just going to take this country, uh, where the big, large CPG companies in the food industry are really suffering. And that's consumer packaged goods? Consumer CPG. packaged goods. So yeah. all the big companies out there are, are struggling with uh, what's going on in, the, in, in that for them. They're, uh, they're losing share. Market share. Market share. Yep. That, because of that, then their, their share price as a public company is starting to go down. The board members are beginning to worry about that. Uh, so you, that's why you see so many of them uh, buying young organic and natural food companies. Yes. Okay. Uh, partly because they want to get, they see that that's where they have to, to be in the future. That's mm -hmm. what the consumer is asking for, those type of products. And secondly, you know, they, the people who are running and managing those companies can't, the people that they have in that upper level just culturally have not been able to change to be in tune with where the consumers are today and what they want in products. Oh, interesting. So the, the rapid rate of change creates a risk for some of the largest, most established companies, it sounds uh, like. Undoubtedly. Yeah. And you're seeing that happen all the time. And uh, so uh, fundamentally, that means that what we were teaching in business schools 10, 15 years ago about what you needed to know uh, uh, in the business world is changing. Yes. Okay. Uh, even to the place about how you treat people. Mm -hmm. Okay. People expect to be in an environment in which they can thrive. So yes. that means that they have to, there has to be trust. There has to be respect. There has to be people concerned about the other people in their organizations. Yes. Okay. Well, that empathy that occurs during that kind of reminds me of Mother Nature. Right. And How's that? Well, from the standpoint that, you know, if there is really a Mother Nature out there, and we're out in kind of Mother Nature's land today, yes. okay, it's beautiful. Uh, she doesn't make any judgments about people, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, she, and, you know, everybody has a, has a right to enjoy the fresh air and, and clean water and to have ground in which they can grow crops if that's what they need to do yeah. or want to do. Yeah. And so, you know, those, those are kind of God-given rights that we have. When yeah. we, so, you know, that's, that's a lot of what's at the, some of the basis of the environmental movement. It's, some of it is what's at the basis of the, 
the sustainability movement, the yeah. regenerative ag, you know, looking at not just human beings, but all the organisms that Absolutely. are there. Yeah. Okay, and how, and, you know, and how they work together to produce what we have today. So, and the funny thing is, that's the solution to climate change, yeah. is sequestering this carbon that we're producing back into the soil, which we can do through, you know, uh, sustainable and regenerative or whatever you want to call it, ag, yeah. there's, the, there's the capability to do it. It's not, it's not uh, some, you know, astrophysical uh, notation here. This is something that we've, been, we've known for 40 centuries. That's right. That's right, Mark. Let me um, pause here just to mention to our audiences, thank you for tuning in. Uh, this is another edition of our Why on Earth Communities uh, Stewardship and Sustainability podcast series. Today we're visiting with Mark Retzloff in his beautiful uh, garden uh, abode here and uh, want to mention for any of you who might like to check out some of the ebooks and audiobook products we have at uh, whyonearth.org market. If you use the code podcast, you'll get a discount on those electronic products. So we encourage you to check that out. And also want to mention that uh, Mark is on the board of several organizations and we'll provide uh, URLs, links in the uh, show notes for you. A couple to mention are Palm Done Right and Traditional Medicinals. And we're talking right now about our global society connectivity with technology. We're talking about stewardship of soil, regenerating soil for reversing climate change. And I'm struck with the company Traditional Medicinals that you're uh, working with, Mark. This is a company obviously sourcing products from all over the world with a variety of uh, different tea blends. And uh, you mentioned to me the other day that their mother's milk product for lactating Mothers is the number one selling tea on Amazon, and, and that is such a positive and hopeful sign as far as I'm concerned as a data point. But I'm, I'm curious, in terms of a company that is emerging as more and more relevant in today's economy, what is Traditional Medicinals doing through those supply chains that looks different than how tea companies say were functioning 30 or 40 years ago? Well, I think some important things there. Drake Sadler, uh, who was the, uh, the f is the founder of Traditional Medicinals, uh, certainly uh, shares the same beliefs and values that I have. And you know, Traditional Medicinals, uh, uh, I think, close to ninety-eight percent of all of our ingredients we now source is organic. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we're working. We have over 30 projects around the world where we're working with indigenous people, local people, who are collecting those herbs for us, growing them and collecting them. And some of them are collected in the wild, and so on and so forth. Uh, we do it in a sustainable manner. We work with those communities. We help those communities in uh, in different ways, whether it be through education uh, uh, schools whether it could be through clinics, whether it could be other things that we do in their communities to help mm -hmm. them so that they will continue to be uh, uh, viable 
uh, obviously because we want to continue to be able to source them, and because the demand for our products are increasing, we also want them to be able to have the wherewithal and the ability to be able to, to grow the supply for yeah. us. Yeah. So uh, we work directly with them on that. Uh, so there's a lot of those projects. That means, you know, those are all uh, certified as fair trade and fair wild, and uh, many of them that way. Yep. So uh, that, and then uh, taking care of the people who are producing and manufacturing and filling the bags and, yep. and going out there and selling it. I think the traditional medicinals is teas can be found in almost 60,000 stores around the, the country. 60,000, that's incredible. And yeah, and it's, uh, and it's, and they work. I think yeah. the efficacy is very important in that. Uh, we, you, we try to use only pharmacopoeial quality herbs, the ones, and so, uh, and we look for the ones that have those critical ingredients or elements in them. Yeah. That are the the ones that are producing the 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 uh, the, uh, the uh, health benefits that we're looking for. Yeah. In that. So I mean, I work for th those kind of companies. I really enjoy working with traditional medicinals. The people are great. They're doing really good things. Uh, Palm Done Right is another one where we are. You know, there's a lot of this whole talk about conflict palm oil and yes. yes there is you know 85% of all palm oil is grown in uh, Indonesia and Malaysia uh, where that's where the conflict palm oil is they're cutting down rainforest to grow more palm which is destroying habitat for you know for a lot of endangered species yes rhinos and orangutans and stuff like that child labor indentured labor for people who can't pay their debts uh, you know I, you know it's it's not a good scene yeah, yeah. Uh, but palm oil itself is the most sustainable vegetable oil that there is seven times as much palm oil than any other seed oil that's or nut oil that's grown uh -huh. per acre uh -huh. you can get from palm oil yeah the trees once they're growing they they grow uh, are productive for a minimum of 35 years. They just get too tall, okay? Uh -huh. um, the, they produce fruit, the palm fruit bunches uh, year round, so it's a, you know, it's a stable form of income for the farmers. They can grow other things underneath it in the shade of the palm. Uh, cacao, co uh, cocoa, and coffee, both indigenously were shade-loving plants. Yep. And so they can grow underneath the palm. So you get some polycultures layered in there. You get polycultures. Yep. We've been working, uh, most of our palm oil today is coming, our palm oil for Palm Done Right, the natural habitats, is comes out of Ecuador. Uh-huh. And we're working with close to 180, 200 farmers down there. And that's growing all the time wow. with them. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, a large project in uh, Sierra Leone in uh, Africa where we have uh, about uh, 1,600 farmers there wow. that we're working yeah. with. You know, uh, you know what I love about whether it's Palm Done Right or traditional medicinals, uh, all of these hundreds, even thousands of people growing and harvesting these various products all around the world because it's organic, they're not exposed to these harmful chemicals. Uh -huh. Of course, because it's organic, we're not exposed either when right. we consume these products. And that so much is oriented around the fair trade and 
practices of justice, dignity, really treating each other uh, with the empathy and the care that you were mentioning earlier, it's amazing to me to think that that is the kind of product that is leading categories now, like with traditionals, uh, uh -huh. mother's milk. And for each of us as consumers, we have so much power to increasingly select those products uh, to make sure that we're doing our part for people and soil and ecosystems all around the world. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's, yeah, and I'm kind of giving you examples of people who uh, have got it, who are doing this on a grand scale and so on and so forth. We have a lot of young companies that, you know, want to get, are getting into this field or, you know, changing products and developing ones as alternatives. Uh, my hope is that more and more of them understand the fact that let's get back to the very basic here. Let's get back to the soil. Let's get back to how it's being grown. Uh, there is, you know, because this market is the market for organic and natural foods uh, uh, is continuing to grow. Uh, and the other, you know, the food only grows totally, all food, at the population growth. You can't, you know, you're not going to stuff more food down people's mouths. So, yeah. so if you look at the conventional food, if the organic is growing at, at that uh, mid-teens as a percent, that means the other food is actually declining somewhat. Right, right. Okay, so... That's good for us as population is growing in tube. So, uh, but I, you know, I wish that we could see more of these young, innovative people understanding that the power of the food and the, and the change that they can make when they get into more of these ecological, sustainable, or conservation regenerative type of agriculture. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. You know, I mean, the word natural really doesn't have any kind of a definition. Right. So, you know, it's not, it, to me, it's not relevant as something that's out there. Yeah. I mean, yes, it could mean that it's without added chemicals, but it doesn't say anything about how the product itself is produced and grown. Right. Uh, and how it's processed and, and all that. You know, I'm, I'm struck thinking about 40 centuries of agriculture that nearly, I'm trying to do some quick math in my head, but it's gotta be something like 98% of that time was organic. That's right. just how it used to be done by definition. And it's only in the last few generations that we saw chemical-based agriculture emerge really after the first and second world wars. And now already we're seeing the needle move back to organic. And I'm curious that perhaps in the next 10, 20 years, we might see that accelerate so much that Ultimately, organic is the norm, the rule, the sensible way of doing food production, and that that's where we uh, will end up and sustain over the long haul. Well, you know, that's a dream that I've always had. Yeah. That, that, that you know, that we, we're going to continue to see that. I don't think I'll see that in my lifetime, but I think my children will see that in their lifetimes. Yeah. And their children, of, of course. And because um, it makes sense. Okay, uh, you know, if we waste as much food every day here in the United States. If we just could, the percentage of food that we waste or just throw out, uh, if we just, we could feed the world with that, with that amount of food that's out there. Astounding.
So, you know, it's not that we don't produce enough food. Right. We don't get it to people. We don't have the distribution systems, the delivery systems. We waste it. We put huge portions on plates where we don't even eat it. We just throw them away. Uh, all, all sorts of stuff like that. So, um, and, you know, it, it's at some point we just have to address that uh, in a more... I mean, I know we are addressing it in many ways, but the, we have to find the will to solve these kind of problems. Absolutely. Out there. So, Mark, I want to ask you before we wrap up our session today, um, two questions. And one is going in the esoteric direction. Rudolf Steiner's name was mentioned a couple times already in our discussion. And, uh, boy, for those of us who have read any of his writings, we know that is a really interesting body of work and in in some respects esoteric out there but in other respects what the seeds he planted particularly with biodynamics in the agricultural realm and with Waldorf in the educational realm he seemed to provide our contemporary world a number of gifts that are perhaps very relevant today and I would ask you in terms of Steiner's legacy and what it might mean a hundred years later. Uh, what is the importance of what Rudolf Steiner has left us? Well, Rudolf Steiner was a tremendous visionary. And he was there at the turn of the last century. Okay. And, and, and promoting ideas about uh, about how humanity works t t with one another, and humans work with one another, uh, about uh, things from a from a religious standpoint, from an agricultural standpoint, thing, and how all these things come together: education, okay, health and medicine, all these things, and and what are the foundations of it, and what what can we see that are where things are on a common plane with one another, okay? So um, I had the great fortune of having a Waldorf school here in, in Boulder, and my, all three of my children went all the way from preschool through high school. So I, and I participated in, 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 the, in the school in, in many ways and learned a tremendous amount. And it was only after my children left that I really began understanding and the, the, the importance of the work that, that uh, Rudolf Steiner did mm. and where he was really coming from. And I look at today, you know, I know we're getting ready to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Waldorf education. Yeah. Uh, and all the changes that have happened and where it's come to, 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 to today and how it's influenced uh, standard educational practices in, in schools and stuff like that with and uh, you know how and the, the number of people who have graduated and gone on and who are continuing to lead in, in that movement but today I look at it uh, and we're and the world is changing so rapidly yeah. that uh, I think we really need to look at how we are going to be able to adapt uh -huh. as human beings what we saw, all the changes that we saw in the last hundred years, is that those same changes are going to be would, would t in today's world would take place in, in probably less than a decade. 
less than 10, 10 years. Yeah. Okay, so that's yeah. kind of the speed at which change is happening. It's accelerating. Yeah. Accelerating. So how do we adapt as human beings? Yeah. How do we take all these new changes, the new technologies that were being put in front of us, the, 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 the flattening of the world, the, how, the speed of things, the, uh, uh, how quickly information can get shared from one place to another. How do we take all that in and, and how do we still have that, you know, have that humanity to, and understand that that can help that become richer yeah. rather than yeah. to be more problems that we see in society. Yes, yes. Okay. And so that's the challenge to me. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, at, in Waldorf schools, when my kids were going to school, ah, don't have computers, don't let them see videos and all this kind of stuff. You know, I, I truly believe that if Rudolf Steiner was living in today's world, he would see that laptop computer, he would see that cell phone, and he would understand how that can be put to, to the most positive use and how it could be used to really facilitate the learning or the understanding that, that's necessary for people to do all these the right, correct things in the world. Yes. And understanding of how much we're all part of one humanity here. Yes. So, you know, my message to them is to, hey, Let's look at what we want the world to be in 10 years, because we can see that happen. Beautiful. When we were looking at 100 years, it's hard to imagine that. Yes. But today we have that capability to do that. So we, we need to have that vision, and then we need to act on that vision. You know, uh, I just have been, I'm in the midst of reading this autobiography, not an autobiography, but a biography of Leonardo da Vinci. Uh-huh. And one of his sayings is that uh, innovation without execution is hallucination. Yes, yes. So That's one of my favorite sayings by him. So, you know, in reality, what he's saying is get stuff done. Yep. Okay. Execute it. Commercialize it. Make it happen. Okay. Yep. And I'm, you know, Fortunately, I live in a community in Boulder where there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of stuff going on and stuff like that in, yep. in all kinds of things, whether it's food, whether it's ag, whether it's high tech, whether it's low tech, whether it's biomedicine, you know, whatever, and which is very encouraging. And, and I, so I feel that for me at my time in my life today, if there's any way that I can help in, or facilitate that, that's, why I, that's where I spend my time today. Well, you know, Mark, I'm, I'm struck that uh, with all of your perspective and expertise, who knows, maybe we need to uh, think about asking you to do an, another episode at some point and get into some more of the uh, specifics for the, the business realm. And uh, I think it could be immensely powerful and, and valuable to entrepreneurs and younger business leaders. And uh, I just, I want to conclude b before... Uh, thanking you for your time today by asking you, you have your seven keys to success that you shared with us before our uh, interview here today. Um, which, which of those, if you had to pick one to end our discussion uh, on today, which, which of those do you think is worth sharing with our audience? Well, I would take two of them. Okay. okay. <laughs> 
The very first one is the golden rule. Yeah. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Okay. Uh, I think that is fundamental in human relationships and, 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 and being able to, because I can't do it myself, I need to have a lot of other help and others and so on and so forth, and I get good ideas. So I really want to be treat people so that, with respect and trust, so that they'll re do the same with me, and then we can, we, we can get to a common place to be able to discuss things and maybe actually get things done. Yeah. The other one, though, is, which is part of this, is to walk your talk. Yeah. If you have a vision, you have a dream, you know, then you have to walk that. You have to, you have to be, you have to embody that yeah. that you have out there. Yeah. It's all about authenticity. Yes. Okay. So, uh, we live in a world today where, uh, you know, you would think that we could see a lot more authenticity. But what we really do is, is we see things that are not authentic. Yeah. More so. Yep. And so, uh, you know, walking your talk. Uh, you know, I hear a lot of things, I read a lot of stuff and everything, but the key is, is that person actually living that in their life? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is that the way they're leading their life? Or is it just some kind of pie in the sky? Right. Sort of a superficial thing out there. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's not where it is. So those are two of them, but there's a lot, there's other things in, you know, that are a little bit more detailed and, you know, I would love to sit down with you again sometime. Aaron in the future and, and, and uh, get a little bit more into you know, how I see these things being curated or interpreted into the business world. That'd be wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Mark, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a, a real pleasure and a joy to visit with you. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> Look forward to it and doing it again. Sounds great. Okay. Take okay. care. Great.